go. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Brooks, back with my super co-host, Corbin Ford, back to talk about another Dallas victory this time. Man, what a game. I mean, everything went right. It was the perfect scenario again. And these home games have just been exactly what the Dallas Mavericks needed because obviously on the road has been more of a struggle, but being at home has definitely been something that they can lean on because being on the road has not been something they can lean on. But before we jump into this, let me just let you guys know that it is pre-draft season when it comes to fantasy, and we all know we all want to win. And here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun, of course, and our expert analysis are churning out important lessons learned and draft analysis on incoming rookies so you can get a jump on your prep and we'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well. But only if you're part of our premium member team, head over to sportsethos.com and click on the premium tab to grab a fantasy pass today. Seriously, you guys can all do it. $6 is nothing, it's $5.99 to be exact. So hopefully to see you all there. But again, back to talking about these good old Dallas Mavericks. I mean, man, can't speak enough about the resilience they've showed, but the dominance they've showed as well in a 113-86 victory. They forced turnovers all over the board. Last time, it was about them making 23s. This time, they forced 22 turnovers. And all of those turnovers just turned into points. And like we say, when that, when that happens, it is just it's just gasoline on the fire for the home team. So Corbin, for you, what's the major thing that stood out in this game for them to get this victory? You know what, man? It's like you said, it's finding a way to win, you know, um, and doing it differently, all doing it at home. That's been the common um, factor here. But either way, whether it is, like you said, forcing turnovers, knocking down timely shots, having timely contributions. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie woke up a little bit uh, last night. You had Reggie Bullock play well. Of course, Luka Doncic, but also, you know, Dwight Powell keeping rebounds alive and, and really mixing it up down low. It was so many Mavericks who came to play all in, in, in one time for one unified effort. They knew their season on the line. They knew what they had to do to get the you know, extended out and go to a game seven. And we saw they did just that. And that this all you can do is be impressed by just the fortitude of this team, the perseverance by the squad to do it in different ways. But either way, to know what they got to do and get it done. Yeah, and, and, I, and I've, I've talked in this series about getting spike games or, you know, podium games, so to speak, from a host of the supporting cast. And it, and it can be a, a selection of anybody on any given night. And in this game, I mean, I, I, I look at Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic as the two guys who are the, the head of the uh, pack in terms of they need to bring it every night for them to have a chance, obviously. But then you have Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, Maxi Kleba, Spencer Dinwiddie, and to some degree, uh, Davis Bertans. But last night, it was a Reggie Bullock game. So he had 19 points. He was 7 to 15 from the field, 5 of 11 from three. And he's really been a godsend for this team because not only is he knocking down threes at a at a 40% plus clip, but he has been asked to have such tough defensive um, assignments. He's playing almost, he's playing 40 minutes a night in most cases. He played another 40 minutes last night. And just to put that in perspective, Luca only played 35 minutes. Jalen Brunson played 35 minutes. Dorian Finney-Smith played 25 minutes, but you had Reggie Bullock on the floor for 40 minutes. 
And for him, it's not just about making shots. It's about trying to slow down um, Chris Paul, who he's had the task of having to guard most of these games. They switched it up last night, though, and they put him over onto Devin Booker, which I thought was a, a nice little tweak because it did. They, I, I think they sensed the fact that Chris Paul is struggling a bit, and so they put Dorian Finney-Smith on him with his length, and he's able to neutralize him in the mid-range area to some extent. And they just put Reggie Bullock on Devin Booker to hound him. And, and you can't say enough about having guys step up. And I said, as this series continues to, to extend, you get those big games from people, and then you get Luka continuing to be Luka and Jalen being Jalen. These are the type of things that can happen. Do you see Reggie Bullock as somebody that they need going to Phoenix or somebody that's a cherry on top if they go, when they go back to Phoenix? Oh, no, bro. You lay that out perfectly. They need Reggie Bullock. Look at the Minnesota he's playing. You already mentioned just how, you know, minutes might fluctuate a little bit for Dorian Finney-Smith or even Luka Doncic. But the one constant has been Reggie Bullock. And what he brings to the table, not only knocking down threes at a timely clip, not only just officially, but just big, much-needed threes, but also, you know, guarding Devin Booker, guarding Chris Paul at times, having to take these tough uh, assignments as well and being one of the few Mavericks players that can, A, you know, reliably hit a shot, B, play consistent defense, and C, log heavy minutes, you know? Like, you can't take all of that and be like, all right, you know, we might need that tonight. Like, dang Skippy, you do, you know? And so he's someone that the Mavericks are going to definitely have to look heavily upon to really uh, just continue his level of play. He's been playing above and beyond, I think, what's expected um, in the postseason, you know? And looking at him just to kind of continue to put that lunch pail on, uh, grind it out in this game seven where, listen, there ain't no tomorrow. You know what I mean? You, you are playing right now. Western Conference Finals is at stake. If not, you're going to Cancun potentially or wherever else you call vacation. So I think that you need a big Reggie Bullock night. Um, absolutely. Like what he brought in Dallas, all three games, bottle up some of that. If it's in the air, if it's in the water, whatever the case may be, and bring you with you to Phoenix for just two and a half hours to do your best to get a game seven victory. Yeah, and, and, and so looking even more into, you know, speaking about Reggie Bullock and the defense and the turnovers, it seems as if they use this game to do a little more double team in Devin Booker, especially in the pick and roll sets, um, trying to get the ball out of his hands or either forcing him to take shots that he isn't necessarily uh, wanting to take. And over th throughout the season, it seems as if that's something that he struggled with a little bit with double teams off of the pick and roll with still just trying to be aggressive, looking for his shot, and them guys not allowing him to get comfortable. Do you think that they're, do you think that they should continue that strategy in game seven? Or are you afraid that this is something that the Suns will look back on on tape, figure it out, and adjust? Would you keep with this strategy, even though, because it, 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 you, would, you would look at this game plan and say, it almost worked too well. <laughs> So yeah. do you think they, they should continue in this way? Or do you think this is something that Phoenix Suns might get a handle on in game seven? I think it's something they have to keep in their back pocket. I think I always have the theory that once you get to seven games, it's not really about adjustments at that point. It's about effort, you know, that you've thrown everything and the kitchen sink at your opponent and they've done the same. But, you know, the way that they had had Devin Booker so flummoxed, it was probably the perfect card to play. And I think you mix and match. You don't go to it like just all like – 
100% of the time, but you definitely do enough to keep that Booker thing in twice. You know, you're shooting, what, 5 for 16? Uh, it was like, it was 5 14 at one point for sure. It was a very rough Devin Booker performance. He definitely seemed utterly lost at times out there and being forced into shots he didn't want to take. And yet again, the Mavericks have forced the their opponent to take less threes than they're accustomed to taking um, compared to what they were doing in the regular season. So, it's one of those things where it's another weapon. It's a tool in the toolbox for the Mavericks to mix and match with when it comes to slowing down Phoenix in this game seven. So I think anything goes in a game like this, but I wouldn't want to be utterly predictable and play right into Phoenix's hands if they go, you know, with this extra day they have before game seven on Sunday and try to kind of stump that out. You know, for a fact, that they're looking at making adjustments. So now you just got to keep the sense guessing, you know, whether it is, like you said, you know, um, throwing that double at Devin Booker, stretching out Chris Paul to make it harder for him to bring the ball top to initiate the offense. Whatever you have to do, it's a game seven, man. It's sellout time. Like, this is it. Yeah, and, and, we, and we also, you know, we spoke about, you know, when we, you kind of, you made me make a prediction, which that, which I'm perfectly fine with, and I'm glad. It came <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. That's part of the deal. I mean, we got to, yeah, if, if we're going to talk about it, then be about it, so to speak. And so, you know, I predicted they would win by four. You said five. Um, but we also talked about the three-point shooting and how important that was going to be. And you were along the lines of saying 18 three-pointers will get it done. I said 15, they end up having 16. So it was kind of right there in the middle of both of our predictions. That's cool. <laughs> and so, um, so they were 16 of 39 from the three-point line, 41%. And they've shot the ball well at home, but that will definitely, they'll, they'll for sure need this 15 on the road, but the percentage will matter as well because if they shoot 16 for, you know, 52, that might not be a recipe for success, but 16 for 39 could get it done. Um, in game seven, or, or we can just talk about game six a little bit more here. Um, even though Reggie Bullock had a big game, you still only, you had one made three from Dorian Finney-Smith. Jalen Brunson, you know, he didn't hit any. Luca was two for eight. Um, Bertans only was 0 for one. Does it concern you that, that, that anybody can go cold at any given time? Or are you encouraged by the the amount of makes they made, even though there was a mixed bag of who made them and who did not. So I'm encouraged by the amount of who made and who didn't. I do actually agree, though, in terms of some trepidation about guys getting cold. We know three is the great equalizer, right? Especially when you're an away team playing a good home team like Phoenix that you haven't won a home game against all series long. That three ball, you know, can keep you in some games. It can really carry you out with some. So you look at guys who traditionally are better, June 3, you mentioned Doncic, you mentioned Brunson. Like, you would hope those guys step up. You like the role players stepped up, you know, in game six. But then again, that's what role players going to do at home. You know, historically speaking, we've seen that time and again be the case. And it, it's, it's born fruit, right? So looking at this, you really need your big guns for Dallas to step back up. That's how I see it. If you get anything from... You know, let's say you get a high volume three point nine from Dorian Finney Smith or uh, Maxi Kleber. Like that's that's gravy. That's that's great. But you're looking at your two main guys to really consistently bring that. And I'd say to a less extent Reggie Bullock because he does have that three and D in his DNA as type as as part of a player archetype. So. On the one hand, yes, I'm glad that the Mavericks can kind of generate threes from different players. You know, the volume from a different assemblage of players every night at the same time. Um, if that was an away game, I'd be a lot more optimistic. That was a home game. I expect some players to find it, you know, at home that normally wouldn't. Look at Davis Bertans in game five compared to game six, you know, or I'm sorry, game four compared to game five. So I just have my own thoughts on that, but I, I would be a lot more um, 
a lot more confident if I see Luca have a much more efficient three ball um, for game seven. Same with Jalen Brunson. Absolutely. And I mean, through all through the, the fact that they've gotten to the to a game seven with the way Luca has shot in the, shot the ball um, just goes to show how complete of a team they've been. I mean, whether if it's been the defensive end or making threes or getting timely stops or making minor adjustments. I think all of that has helped them get to a game seven. But ultimately, I do think, especially when you consider how poorly they've played in Phoenix, it's going to be important for them to shoot a good percentage, most notably Luca, because I do feel like when you put the ball in the basket, it neutralizes the other team's opportunity to, to go on these big runs because long misses lead to long rebounds and long rebounds lead to fast breaks. And fast breaks is a party starter in the home gym. And you don't want to start the party there because we've seen how that's happened or how that's turned out for the Dallas Mavericks so far. So I do think I, I tend to agree with you that the three point shooting will be big because they'll need people to make shots to keep things at bay. And I think they'll to some extent, because Luca's so good at controlling pace, that kind of offsets his inefficiency from shooting, uh, shooting the basketball. And he has such a high usage rate, like he's just going to be able to control the game. So I'm hoping that he can continue to do that, which I'm fully confident he will. Spencer Dinwiddie needs to bottle up this game and take it with him to Phoenix because they'll need him. And, and honestly, it'll just, it'll just need to be all hands on deck in general. They'll need a little bit from everyone, no matter if it's scoring, getting stops, um, you know, spelling guys. If someone's in foul trouble, just whatever you can do to get a win. Because like we say, game seven, it's it's a toss-up. It's just do what it takes at that point. It's all effort, like you mentioned. So I think that's going to be huge. Um, speaking of what you would do going into game seven, so one thing that I like that they've, they've started to do or I'm noticing that it appears to be working is continuing to make Chris Paul work on both ends has worn him down a little bit. And he hasn't played well the last four games. And I've been waiting for him to erupt again. Do you think that the, do you think he wakes up in game seven or do you do you feel like the the constant grind of having to deal with Reggie Bullock and then on the defensive end have to guard Luca or, or you know, hedge on screens where he's getting bumped by Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and Jalen Brunson. He's just a tank running into you every time. Do you think that he's a guy that might wake up in game seven or are you more so concerned about Devin Booker and the supporting cast? I'm going to say about that book at this point, Cass. I do think, like, Chris Paul, redemption-wise, you know, like, listen, Dallas has not been kind to him this, this series. So if there's one person I expect, a veteran, been around the block, uh, and then some, surefire Hall of Famer, just everything he brings to the table. If he's going to step in a big game, we saw this last series, it's going to be Chris Paul, right? At the same time, Devin Booker, man, they did such a good job holding him in check. I can see he's been the one kind of matchup issue where both the Pelicans and the Mavericks, you know, in this postseason have had a hard time, like, consistently guarding him. And so I do worry about that first and foremost, you know. Um, I think that's the one big issue. And then, of course, we talked about Dallas role players playing well at home. Well, now you're looking at Jay Crowder. Now you're looking at guys like Cameron Payne. Um, um, just guys now that are back in the friendly confines of the home at the Footprint Center and what might they do now? You know what I mean? When they wake up and start knocking down shots. Um, so I'm looking still more at Devin Booker and the supporting cast, but you have to account for Chris Paul just because look at what he's done. You know what I mean? The man hasn't had, if he has a third bad game in a row like this, like it's going to be something relatively unprecedented for a while, you know? Um, and maybe Dallas found something that worked or maybe we'll find out 
after the fact that Paul was dealing with some type of ailment or something that really threw him off. But in terms of uncharacteristic effort, uh, uncharacteristic errors, um, defensive miscues, the normal ground and pound from the physical Dallas um, front line and really their perimeter players as well, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. But I, I guess I'm talking circle. I'm still worried about Devin Booker first and foremost and the role players because when you get home, um, you know, they wake up. But it, there's no one that's more of a killer from the right elbow in crunch time than Chris Paul. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I mean, you hit the right nail on the head. I, I don't think it's necessarily talking in circles. It's more so of like, we know Chris, we know what Chris Paul can do. We know what he's capable of. Uh-huh. But you definitely want to make sure that at, at the minimum, you're giving the other guys the respect they deserve and the attention they deserve because you've done such a good job, or I should say they've done such a good job of kind of neutralizing Chris Paul um, in these situations. And I think even more so, it looks like the game plan from a distance seems to be forcing DeAndre Aiden into being their second leading scorer, something that he's struggling with. I mean, and I know Dallas isn't great at defending the rim, but they're doing a good job of tagging on the pick and roll. Um, they're doing a good job of, you know, neutralizing him in spots where he's not able to just get comfortable. Even last night, they were trying to just literally throw the ball into him, and that was resulting in turnovers. And so I just think overall, he's not a proven scoring commodity on his own, especially trying to make, he's more of a finisher at the rim than a guy who's going to create and then finish at the rim. And so you just shake your hand, you just shake their hand and say, good job if they can do it. But I like the idea of trying to force him to, to be a scorer in the game, because I don't think that's something that he's comfortable with. So if they can do that, they should be great. And, and continuing to shoot the three ball. I mean, you look at what Phoenix did, they were six of 18 from the three point line, which means, you know, Dallas took um, two times more threes than they did. And if that's going to be the case, just from a mathematic perspective, you make more and it's almost, <laughs> I kind of liken it to um, LeVar Ball's logic with, with his boys when they were at Chino Hills. They say, hey, if we're going to get up 100 shots versus your 62 shots, just by virtue of math, we're going to beat you. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think some of what they're doing is the same thing in, in terms of making sure they get their, their threes off and forcing these guys into, okay, if you're going to take these twos, you're going to have to make a ton of them. So hopefully that continues as well, where, they're, where they can take this entire game plan, move it to Phoenix, make this a close game, because all of these have been blowouts. And I don't think that they want this to be a blowout, the league or us. <laughs> No, nah, we want a good competitive game for once. This entire series has been lopsided affairs in one direction or the other. Give us a tight, nail-biting game seven with two minutes in the fourth. That's all I ask. And if the Dallas Mavericks come on top, then I think you'll have checked out my entire bingo board. Absolutely. So with that being said, listeners, we got a game seven. It will be on Sunday. Time is to be determined. So please download, subscribe to the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. Um, please follow us on Twitter. That's at Ethos Mavericks. Also, my personal Twitter account is at LB Said It. Corbin, where can everyone find you? Listen, man, as always, appreciate being on talking this. You can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Literally any NBA uh, content there, WNBA, Round Ball Ramble. Remember the uh, hoop ball, um, hoop ball, hot shot to hoop ball. Sports Ethos Podcast Network, we all got it here. So just follow me there on Corbin NBA on Twitter. Definitely appreciate any and all. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully they get a game, uh, get this game seven and move on, which will be a great upset. And we all love upset stories, especially when they're the teams that we're rooting for. So thank you all again. 
we will be back to break it all down after game seven. And hopefully we're advancing. So you guys take it easy and talk to you soon. Go Mavs.